This is Bethel Online. Welcome home. This is the next best thing to being at Bethel on Sundays. We are driven by making disciples of Jesus who make disciples. When you're online, interact with us on Facebook and Instagram. When you're in Barhead, Alberta, drop in Sundays to Friday. Our goal on this podcast is to ask questions, challenge certainty, and grow a relationship with Jesus so you can go the distance and bring others with you. Thank you for tuning in. These names you may not know. The faces you may not know. Alan Shepard, Gordon Cooper, Virgil Grissom, John Glenn, Deke Slayton, and Wally Schirra, Scott Carpenter. These were the original seven Mercury astronauts in the United States. They were the people, the men about whom the movie was made, the right stuff. These were the heroes of the United States back in the late 50s and throughout the 60s. These were the men who took the first steps into space. Uh, Wally Schirra, no, pardon me, uh, Alan Shepard was the first one to be shot into space, first American. Uh, John Glenn was the first one to orbit Earth. These were men that became heroes, well-known, and their wives as well. They were on the faces of Life magazine. They were everywhere on TV, and their wives and families. Everybody knew the astronauts, and they were the heroes of society. Most of you probably don't know the next the people on the next slide. Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson. I would hazard a guess that nobody here knows who they are. But they were described as human computers. They also worked for NASA. They were the women who worked out all the math that allowed men to go into space. They were the ones who, by their own minds and their own mathematical abilities, worked out to tra trajectories for sending people to the moon. Back in 1969, they say that the average smartphone of today has more computing power than the space capsule that took men to the moon. Your phone has more ability and capacity to do mathematical things than what they had back then on their biggest computers. And so it was left to people to figure out the math necessary to achieve great things. Of course, the interesting thing about it is because of their skin color, they weren't allowed to go to the same bathroom as all the white people. They were forced to run to another building to go to the bathroom. And they couldn't drink from the same water fountains as most of the people that they were computing the trajectories for. They couldn't drink from the same fountain as, say, the astronauts themselves. They were the hidden heroes. Most of us knew nothing about them until two years ago when a movie came out called Hidden Figures which tells their story. You see, when you don't know people, it's easy to dismiss them. When you don't know who people are, it's easy to write them off. When you don't know the name of somebody, it's easy to ignore them. 
It's easy just to say they're, they're, they're not really that important when you don't know their names. We have been speaking, as I said, about You Belong. And uh, last week, we talked about a lot of people that we know their names, we know their stories. We know the stories of Noah and Moses and David and, and Peter, and we know that they failed. And we accept their failures. We, we, we recognize the fact that these were men of faith and women of faith, Rahab, the prostitute. We know their stories, we know their names. But did you know that in the Bible, there's a lot of people that we don't know their names? For instance, can you tell me the name of one shepherd? And yet, in every church, and every Christmas play, we make the shepherds one of the central part of the Christmas story. We don't even know their names. And the wise men? Well, church history made up names for them, but the Bible doesn't give their names. And the little boy who gave his lunch to feed the 5,000, what was his name? You don't know. I don't know. But they were playing major parts in the story of Christ. In your bulletins today, you received a name tag. And just looking around real quickly, I don't think anybody that I see has filled out a name tag. And that's okay, that's not what they're there for. They're there to remind you of the nameless people. The people that may come to church every Sunday and you don't know who they are. In fact, I would dare say there are people on this side of the church that can look across to the other side of the church and see somebody they don't even know who they are, don't know their names, and likewise, vice versa. We know everybody that sits in the middle. That's, uh, the reality is in a church this size, people can come in and we don't know your name. Doesn't mean you're not important. Doesn't mean you're not significant. It becomes easy for us from a human standpoint, sadly, to ignore those people that we don't know, to overlook the people that we don't know their names of, to let them walk out and never make a point of saying hi to them. It's possible. And so throughout the Bible, there are nameless people. And yet, Christ's invitation was open to all. Not just the well-known, not just the guy with a name or the woman with a name, but to the people who had no names. For instance, in John chapter 8, we read the story of a woman caught in the act of adultery. Don't know her name. Now, for those of you who need a little further interpretation... She was caught having sex with somebody who wasn't her spouse. How you catch one person and not the other person in that condition, I'm not totally sure. Somehow the man escaped. Probably it was a, pl a plot. It's easier to use a woman than it would be to bring a man under condemnation. So the man was allowed to go, but let's take the woman and let's force the judgment upon her. And so she was thrown at the feet of Jesus, and the law said that adultery was a cause for the death penalty. She should die. Jesus, what do you say? And you know the story. This unknown woman, Jesus looked at, 
realizing that all the other people who were going to stone her had now left. And Jesus said, I'm not going to condemn you. I didn't come here to condemn you. I want you to have life. He did tell her to go and sin no more because he wasn't overlooking her sin. Sometimes grace in today's church means we overlook sin. We just ignore it. Jesus extended grace to this woman, but he didn't ignore her sin. He told her, stop doing what you're doing. Can't keep living like this. But we don't even know her name. And yet, she found mercy. She found grace. Jesus said, I won't condemn. Do you know anyone who's done something wrong? That's failed? Is maybe filled with shame and hurt and pain? And the question is, can you love that person the way Jesus did? Can you love that person the same way Jesus loved this unnamed woman? Big question, isn't it? In Luke chapter 17, we read that Jesus was intercepted by ten unknown men. They couldn't even come close to him. They were social outcasts. They were diseased with no known cure. They were rejected by society and even by their own families. They were forced to live alone. No one came to visit them. No one would come near them. And so as they saw Jesus passing by, the only thing they could do was stand at a distance and yell out to them, Jesus, have pity on us! They couldn't come close. It's all they could do. Just yell. And maybe Jesus would respond. And of course, you know the story. Jesus healed them. He sent them away to the priests to get confirmation of their healing. But he restored hope in their lives. Do you know someone who's been rejected by others, by their family or by their friends? Someone no one else will risk getting close to them? Maybe it's somebody at school and nobody else likes them, so why should you? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a, a person in the community and they're not liked by many people and so follow the trend of everybody else. Let's not like them as well. Do you think Jesus liked the ten unknown lepers? He loved them. He reached out to them. He extended mercy to them. He healed them. Maybe there are people that used to come to church, but they've been turned aside. Maybe they're so angry and bitter that you can hardly stand listening to them. Yet God loves them. In Luke chapter 7, we actually read of three nameless individuals. One was a Roman soldier, an enemy of a state, a person who put burdens on people, who forced people to do things. He was the law. He was not accepted. He was an unknown. He wasn't even part of society. He had somebody in his family, a son that was sick, and he needed help. In Romans, or pardon me, in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17, we read about an unknown widow 
and her only son has died. Her only son. We don't even know her name. Jesus just happens to run across them as they're headed out to the cemetery to bury their only son. And Jesus extends mercy to this unknown woman. And the boy is raised back to life. In Luke, 30, in Luke 7, also verses 38 to 50, we read the story of a woman who's described in some translations simply as a sinful woman. Maybe a prostitute. We really don't know what garnered that description. But she's known as the sinful woman. The people, the, the kind of person that people, that good people, righteous people, would tend to avoid. A scandalous soul who did what she could to worship God. The story goes that this sinful woman broke open some perfume and poured it on Jesus' head and on his feet and she wiped his feet with her hair to dry them. And of course, people were scandalized. Sinful people shouldn't be allowed to worship God like that. Oh, really? Is that your rule? Or is that God's rule? We don't allow sinful people to worship. Oh, since when? Jesus did. Jesus allowed it to happen. This unknown woman, considered to be a sinner, and yet she worshiped God. Each of these unknown people were welcomed by a Savior whose invitation is open to all the sick and the healthy, the bitter and the guilty, the grieving and the rebellious. In Luke chapter 20, we, 21, we read the story of a, an unknown woman who goes to church and she puts in two pennies. And Jesus, looking on, says, this woman's put more, more in the offering plate than everybody else. This woman's given more than anybody. Is that how you would consider the poorest of the poor coming to church? And just throwing in two pennies into the offering? Would you consider them to be the one that would outgive everybody else in the church? Or would we just write that off as insignificant because we don't know her? We don't even know who she is. But Jesus commended her. And of course, how can you forget Luke 23 where Jesus is crucified between two unknown criminals. You know the story. The one criminal on the one side gets angry and he's, he's, uh, he's bitter and he begins to call out to Jesus in anger and save us. And the other guy is humble, recognizes that he's getting what he deserves, and pleads for mercy. And Jesus responds that this day he'll be in paradise. Jesus, the middleman on the cross. And actually, as I wrote that last night or yesterday, the middleman, isn't that what Jesus is? He's the middleman. He's the one who stands between us and God. And he gives us access into the heavenlies. The middleman 
becomes very important to us spiritually. Because of him, we can have a relationship with God. And of course, should not dare forget to talk about the fact that because it's, it's a big thing in our church right now, but a reminder that death is not the big divide that we think it is. Jesus said to the man on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. We recognize people have lost loved ones recently and death does not separate us a lot from God. In fact, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's not something you have to wait a long time for. You wake up in his presence. You're alive in his presence. What hope, what joy we have. I'm looking at the clock because this is running short today. But I want to say you belong here. Every one of you belongs here. Uh, can we see the next slide? I believe that's a picture of our church. You may see yourself in that picture. But there are people that have not yet made this their church home. There are people who have not yet come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our church is not complete. There are missing pieces from our church. I don't know about you, I'm not a big um, puzzler and uh, jigsaw puzzler. I've, uh, I know people that are and do very well at it. Sometimes when I go into uh, Hillcrest, there's a table where people work on puzzles and I think the most frustrating thing in the world for me would be to have 98, 99% of that puzzle completed with one piece missing. Are you content to know that there are pieces of our puzzle that are not here in church yet? Are you content to know that maybe it's your neighbor? Maybe it's a distant relative? Maybe it's a school friend that does not yet know Jesus Christ? Does not yet have the assurance of salvation? Are you happy with that? Are you content with that? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the family. I'm okay with that. What about those who also belong to the family? They just haven't found their place yet. And you see, not only is this a picture of our church, but I believe it's a picture of you. Some of you have not yet filled that part of your life which is hungry and anxious for God. There's an emptiness inside. There's a void in your life. In your sermon notes today, there's a quote from a philosopher by the name of Blaise Pascal. He's not a preacher. He's a philosopher. And he says this, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. And since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself, 
There are parts of us that nobody and no thing can fill except God. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. There's an emptiness and a void inside and you don't even know what it is or why it's there. But God is calling out. He wants to become a part of your life. He wants to complete the puzzle of you. And he wants to be that peace, that missing peace that comes in and, and makes your life real and full. To answer questions that no one else can. To give you hope and life and a purpose. And I urge you to do that. Do you think the unknown woman in John, the unknown adulteress, do you think there's a place for her in our church? Do you think the Roman centurion, the unknown, the guy who's struggling with sickness and possibility of death, is there room in Bethel? for the unknown centurions in our lives? Or how about the unknown lepers? Is there room in Bethel for the unknown leper to come and find healing and hope and restoration? Is there room in our pews for the unknown person that's been rejected and been abused? Do they belong here? Absolutely they do. The invitation is to all. We sang a song earlier, Come Just As You Are. I want us to see if this will work. We're going to try that song uh, that we were going to start off the service with. Um, it's an invitation song. I want you to just listen to the words of the song. They're going to be played here for you. And uh, we had a little trouble with our projector here. Just gonna let it let it play. See what happens. Just come to me. Listen to this song. There's one other reason why people are unknown. That's sometimes because we wear a mask and we don't want people to really know who we are. And in a church this size, I know because I've sat in just where you are. I know there are people that are looking at the pastor like everything's great, everything in my life is going fantastic, but your marriage is falling apart, you personally are falling apart. Maybe you're struggling with illness or sickness, and you don't want anybody to know, but Jesus knows. And he still says, come to me. Just come to me just as you are, just the way you are. Take the mask off. And come and let me bring healing. You belong. You belong. Because God has a purpose for you. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to come and speak to me after the service or speak to somebody that you've come to church with. Uh, really, really important that you can have that relationship with God and know him. If you would like prayer, again, speak to somebody here. We're not going to wait at the front today, but uh, if you would like prayer, there's people that want to pray for you and would love to pray for you. God would say to you, come to me. Come to me. Father, thank you for this church and thank you for this opportunity. 
We thank you for people who have found their place here. Each one belongs here, has a purpose here, has a place here. We recognize there are people in our community that are not here yet, but you have a plan for them and a, a purpose for them, and they too belong here. You have hope for them, and you have healing for them, and you have a purpose for their lives. I pray that they may come to know you as well. Father, thank you that we can come just as we are, knowing that you accept us with our struggles and our fears and our questions. And you say, once again, you belong to me. You're mine. So we ask your blessing upon this church and upon this people as we go our various ways. May we serve you with gladness of heart. May we serve you with eyes that are focused on the author and the finisher of our faith. Help us, Lord, to serve you with courage, to serve you with patience, to love with the love of Christ. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be sure to say hello to the people around you and welcome them to the house of God if you haven't done so already. God bless you.